Good evening, everyone. Um, welcome to our fourth and final webinar in this inclusive reporting series. Firstly, I would like in the spirit of reconciliation to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands from which we are all joining and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and to all First Nations people and to those in the audience with us tonight. I have the great privilege to be your MC this evening. My name is Anthea Hancock, and I'm the CEO of the Scanlon Foundation and the Scanlon Foundation Research Institute. And I would also like to recognize our partners in this initiative, Media Diversity Australia and the Walkley Foundation. We've been delighted to work with these excellent organizations in this series and hope that for those of you who have attended the previous sessions, that you found them enjoyable and of value. This evening, we'll be discussing diversity and ethics. Many of you will recall that we have talked earlier in this series about the language of storytelling, engaging with communities and expanding audiences. All of these have emphasized the importance of understanding communities, of encouraging journalists and the media to expand their networks and to be sensitive to the multitude of cultural nuances and experiences that may impact the levels of trust that may be lacking when individuals are approached for insights, comments or responses. All of these, though, sit in a broader ethical context. That is why we have invited three excellent speakers to provide us with their views on how Australian media is faring in their engagement with a diverse society and where there may be some ethical dimensions to consider. Firstly, I would like to introduce Hass Delau. Hass is the Executive Director of the Australian Multicultural Foundation since 1989, where he's worked tirelessly for minority communities and is now constantly sought out to advise all levels of government, academia and communities. Until relatively recently, Hass was the chair of SBS, having served 10 years on that board, as well as being the deputy chair of the Australian Multicultural Council. He's also served as special advisor to the Australasian Police Multicultural Advisory Bureau, and he serves as a director on the board of the Scanlon Foundation. I would next like to introduce you to Russell Anderson. Russell is the Executive Officer of the National Ethnic and Multicultural Broadcasters Council. He has a career that includes extensive experience over 21 years in various media roles. He has worked as a journalist in media production and management, as a trainer and as senior media advisor for East Timor's national radio and television station. He's also worked for the United Nations, UNICEF, UNDP, AusAid and for national and international NGOs and local government. And he also has significant experience in communities broadcasting sector and ethnic community media. And finally, I'm also very pleased to welcome our third guest, Juan Paolo Legaspi. Juan Paolo is the Vice President of the National Ethnic and Multicultural Broadcasters Council. He works with community groups, government and non-government organizations to promote multiculturalism in the Australian media landscape. Juan Paolo has been a broadcaster for the local Filipino community in South Australia since 2008 via local media multicultural community radio station 5EBI. This is a natural extension of his commitment to community advocacy, policy development, strategic planning and communications both within the government and non-government sectors. Welcome to you all. Thank you. In a similar fashion to our previous webinars, this session will be a free ranging discussion followed by Q&A from all of you. And we hope to be able to address all of your questions or at least as many as we can get to in that time. Please feel free to send them through to the chat anytime. So I would like to start by asking all our guests um, and starting with Hass, yeah. what's the good news Hass? Has there been progress in the relationships between communities and the mainstream media? And if so, why do you think this has occurred? Thanks, Anthea. And uh, I also wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we uh, meet on and pay my respects to elders past and present. And uh, um, thank you very much for inviting me to this um, forum. Look, uh, if I can start by saying the um, issue of diversity in the, in the newsroom or having a genuine and equal uh, relationship with multicultural communities has has really been a, a constant source of discussion for some time now. And really at the heart of the issue and what remains um, an issue uh, is that it's an unresolved contradiction. 
is that, you know, Australia is a multicultural society. That is a reality. But in the media, the, main, the, the media in the main tells a very different story. Now, having said that, I think there is some good news too. Um, we've come a long way since those days when someone had told me that um, the only diversity you'll find in, in our media organisation is in the cleaning department. And I hazard a guess that the department was probably the most informed up to date on community issues at the time. But we've moved along, we have moved along, and, and I think there's a greater awareness uh, of the importance of engaging with diverse communities today in a meaningful way and to achieve that diversity of thought and relevance. And I think um, we've had some really good work being done the last few years, particularly with the PricewaterhouseCooper report on media and employment and diverse workforce, but recently with the Media Diversity Australia report, who gets to tell Australian stories? I think that's raised the level of consciousness and awareness uh, about, you know, what media organisations are missing out on and why it's so important now to be as diverse as possible, whether with your workforce, because that diversity actually connects you with the communities and will make you successful one way or the other. So I think there is that level of um, uh, will, uh, and I think it is slow, the landscape is changing, and it does need to change, particularly over the last two years, what we've gone through with this recent event uh, of the pandemic, because um, it, it, it's changed in so many ways that you know there are new powerful voices, there are new stories, new issues, challenges, new connections, exciting and new narratives and stories out there, new leaderships and new communities, and you really don't want to miss out. And thanks very much, Hass. I think there's some really interesting stories to be told about changes that are happening in the media. But Russell, from your perspective, what do you think? Do you think there's been progress in these relationships between community and the mainstream media? I think there has been really good progress. I think there's much more awareness. There's much more active voices now looking at the mainstream media um, and making them aware of that. And, and I think we have to realise in Australia we have a diverse media anyway. We do have, you know, the mainstream media, the commercial media, we have public broadcasters and we have community media and it's very diverse. And I think because of that diversity in our media, there's a lot of opportunities as well to, to, for those people to move up and to be part of the mainstream media. And we've got those active voices happening now with inside the commercial media saying we need more diversity. And I think it's been a bit of a wake-up call for mainstream media. Um, they realise that if they're not telling the stories of the people that are, that, that, that are their audience, then, then they're, not, they're not going to listen to them anymore. They can turn off. They can go to social media. They've got so many different ways of getting news and information now. So I think it's a bit of a commercial interest to make sure you're telling that story of the people that you're broadcasting to or, or reading, writing to. Um, and I think we've got this change globally. You know, you, you've got the Me Too movement, you've got Black Lives Matters, which are pushing forward these, you know, more pressure on people to um, be responsible, be accountable. And then you've got, you know, Donald Trump being elected. And now we're actually looking, what is the truth? That's the big question. You know, people have to talk about facts and alternative facts. And now the media is really in the spotlight about, are they telling the stories that we need to be hearing? Um, so you've got a lot of global changes, got a lo local changes, but I think you've also got journalists which are trying to really, you know, find the right people to be telling those stories as well. Thank you. Russell? Uh, Juan Paolo, I'm interested in, in your thoughts from uh, the local community perspective. Do you think people are, um, are seeing a difference, a progress in this relationship? I think so, Anthea, and not to repeat everyone's comments, but I, I entirely agree with them. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's an emerging meta conversation about news and information, and especially from my local community, but from, from broader communities within my state and nationally, there's, there's a growing conversation about sources, information. Um, I, I couldn't imagine a society where we actually discuss the post-truth movement or um, disinformation. I think they're very healthy conversations to have. But with that comes an opportunity about reassessing uh, the way that we, we do things. It's not business as usual. And one would hope that things change over, um, well, immediately and over time as, as a reform. Yeah. So I guess that's the silver lining that I could take, that it's, there's a deeper level of conversation about news media and information more broadly. And, and isn't that, that's just, it, it's really refreshing. Now, this, this session is about ethics in particular. Um, while I've got you there, Juan Paolo, how, how would... Um, I'd like to hear a little bit from, from each of the panellists, but starting with you, 
on how should those in the media approach understanding ethical nuances that might be specific to individual communities? If, if you've got any examples, that'd be really useful too. Sure. Uh, well, uh, I guess it's an opportunity to reassess it from the ground up. So it's not only just on the reportage of perspectives, but what, how it's gained and, and the, the whole production chain um, could, could be completely reassessed. And there's the advantage of talking about uh, diversity of perspectives. So as a case example, um, the most obvious one is pandemic response and how um, government communications and, and various outlets have reassessed how they've communicated that and really thought about, um, but by the main, um, talking to various communities that would not normally be considered as part of that communication channel. Um, that's just one small case example, but I think there's not only a demand for it, there's a necessity um, to create um, a more broader perspective of different yeah. diverse perspectives. And, and to know how to get deeper into communities, I think. That's right. Um, Russell, yeah. what about you? Have you, oh, oh Hess, um, have you? Well, no, I, I was just going to build it. Yeah, I was just going to build on ones. And I, th I think the first thing is to, and what the pandemic has really demonstrated, is to really get to know your community. Firstly, understand the history and of your community and who they are and what they are. And um, it's really not uh, one size fits all. And, and I think the, the way you approach, the way you craft your messaging is, is going to be very diverse. And in order to do that, you really need to understand those nuances in terms of uh, working with your communities. Make sure that the collaboration is mutually beneficial, not a fixed relationship. Um, it, you know, examine the relationship of reporters to their community, community perceptions about media outlet and distrust of media, particularly if you're going to give valuable information. Uh, do I trust this piece of information? Do they understand me? Beware of when your, your own sort of knee-jerk biases that may occur. Um, also, review how you might want to approach or question or rethink with, whether those questions you set, uh, you know, that, do they have those underlying biases or values and structures that might be causing people to think one way but answer another. So I that's, think that's such an interesting point, Hess. And I'm, yeah. I'm wondering whether or not um, those that don't come from those particular communities, how can they force themselves to think, to, to question the questions they're thinking about asking? Should well, they actually share them with people and get that feedback or how... How do they go through that process? Well, I think this is, comes back to your first point about connections and relationship with communities. And, of course, you know, any, any media organisation that has a diverse workforce obviously readily makes those connections. But even so, I, I think it's even if, you know, it's making sure you have those genuine connections within the communities. And it's not that one source, you know. You, there are so many diverse voices within communities. One thing that we've learned through this pandemic and even an absolute surprise to me after 45 years in this field is the layers of communities that exist. Communities that have never, we've never been able to reach or talk to before have suddenly had to come out because we've had to craft important health messages so that everybody gets those messages. So you've really had to work very hard to break those layers down. And it's not one community. We found layers within communities of the same community that mm -hmm. all have different ways of communicating. And it's become quite complex, even for ethnic media, ethnic communities, let alone mainstream. So I think it's a really important message the way we, we, we reconnect with communities. And I think there's been some very interesting lessons learned, even for government, the way they've been crafting their health messages. They've had to come back to communities to actually de help develop and construct messages that could reach these more vulnerable communities that weren't getting the messages because... Um, you know, it's all good and well to say we're all in this together, but are we really all in this together? And uh, that, That's a really interesting point. And, and Russell, I was thinking, too, that when it comes to understanding different communities, you, you work with quite a lot of um, uh, channels into those different communities, people who are speaking uh, from that particular viewpoint with all of the, the uh, different channels that are associated um, with your particular um, association, the, um, the, the, is there an opportunity there to better understand those communities by the mainstream media actually working more closely with the, those particular channels that you're, uh, that sit within your council to, um, to understand those, uh, those ethical nuances, if you like, or how they should approach to, to understand those layers that Hass was talking about? 
Yeah, it's, it's something we've been working on for some time now about building employment pathways. Um, for six years ago now, we've, we've held a conference about making these connections and, and working with Media Diversity Australia, we are making those connections. Um, just this month, we're working with Channel 10 um, television uh, with their nightly news to have Arabic, Vietnamese and Mandarin uh, translations and audio um, up on the social media networks. So there's these connections and links being made. Um, so that, that's part of that good news that those links are there. And that feeds back into the relationship. So those people that are working with Channel 10 will build that relationship with that station, which they haven't had before um, on that level. So that's sort of one example. Um, and, I th and, and there's there's hopefully that growing opportunity that we can create those employment pathways. We've certainly had people from even the NBC and, and people that are working with, with us in our, our membership base that are starting to get jobs in the mainstream media, um, in the ABC and, and, and public broadcast as well. So I think I think there's 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 in the in the hopefully near future, but you know we're talking five maybe ten years that takes that time to change things um, that we could see those things start to happen. But I think you know the ethical nuances are very difficult to deal with. I think one of the big things I think one for me that stands out is to do do no harm, and I think that's something that when you're doing reporting, um, I think is a really important thing to think of, do no harm. Um, and it's very difficult in a, a news-driven cycle if you're doing news to actually, you know, you've got to churn something out, you've got to put it out really quickly. So I almost think there needs to be a bigger level of change, not just media representation with people in the media um, understanding how to do that reporting, but it needs to be changes within management, um, programming, and the media institutions you know, the mainstream media commercial institutions need to change that as well in a sense that they need to be able to um, think of a, a deeper narrative um, at storytelling and conversations around how they present things. So I think that sort of change will then slow us down and, and get us to understand the discussions and be able to produce better ethical reporting. Yeah, thank you. Oh, sorry, Hess, go ahead. Yeah, no, just to add to that, I, I, I guess it's, it's to be need, need to be sort of transparent about all reporting choices, including the use of um, specific terminology, uh, ethical decisions and, and, and sourcing choices. I think, you know, it, it plays all, all into that. Uh, absolutely. Um, I'm interested to know whether or not, because we've got all of those that, that are part of the Ethnic Broadcasters Council that, that um, Russell is, is communicating with, We've got um, multiple channels that SBS uh, communicates to, um, to various different uh, communities. I mean, there's quite an extensive number now, not to mention what happens on social media, but I'm, I'm interested to know how, how should the media landscape look uh, within Australia? Is, is there, should we expect, is it ever possible to expect too much from mainstream media? Um, that might be covered by other areas? Or is, is it actually really important that we bring these voices together across all of those different channels that we've got available to us? Can we, um, can we accommodate them? I'll, I'll go to Juan Paulo first, because Juan Paulo, you, you've had this experience of working with the Philippine uh, community radio. What, what do you feel is its role in, in the broader media landscape and, and particularly for the community it's communicating with? Well, the, the role has changed because um, we've been in existence as an entity for more than 40 years. And that, that changed from its original mission, which was to share information from the Philippines into the local Adelaide community, in my example. But I've noticed a seismic shift in the role where it's become very hyper-local about what's going on in your local geography within the context of me being a Filipino-Australian, a, a big shift overall. And I think that can be built upon um, not only for community media, but for media at large about taking that as a bridge for your local communities outwards so if I looked at it from two perspectives, an internal perspective, so within your local area, you're sharing local stories from a different perspective. And then from an external perspective, um, if I was asked what, what it looks like from the outside, I'd want to see more diversity in, in channels of media. Um, you know, we, we would think in the commercial um, aspect, it would, if it followed pure market forces, diversity will happen, but there's something that needs to change to allow that to happen. But there's just all these subsections of different media outlets. And I think um, 
with that diversity um, increasing internally, that will happen as a result as well externally. That, that, I, I think that's a really important point. And in actual fact, one of the questions on the chat at the moment uh, is really talking about whether or not, because um, when we're discussing the pandemic, it's been pretty much about how to get information from the top down effectively, if the government is the, the, the top down. But, but he, this is, um, Anthony's particularly interested in getting the ideas and thoughts out from the communities up and out into the broader community itself. <laughs> Um, is that, Juan Paolo, is that something that is, is part of that role now that sits with, with these local community radio stations? Uh, absolutely. Uh, customer comes first, right? And mm -hmm. um, those stories build and generate more momentum. And once you start at the local level, it will build in. And I'm, I'm hoping there will be more pathways. So that, that kind of reporting builds into more um, commercial entities as well. It, it will happen, but it needs to come from the ground up, 100%. So, so Hass, from, um, from your perspective, this, it's not necessarily just getting the, the word out that people are speaking, but actually informing strategy or policy or service delivery. Are you seeing that from the work that SBS has done or from the community's voices themselves? No, I certainly have. I, I, I think, you know... I mean, with SBS, I mean, we've, it, it's really it started off as... A, uh, humble beginnings as a, you know, initially to um, put out messages around Medibank, it's health services. So, you know, that inevitably um, it becomes a, a service delivery because you have to engage with communities and understand communities. And I think what uh, SBS's success has been over the 45 years is it's continued that community connections um, with with uh, delivering particular services around settlement, immigration, language services, a whole range of services. But then it, it's evolved out uh, and has now become a, a mainstream provider for all Australians in terms of a whole range of issues. And I think that's a, a really interesting way of looking at how media can become, you know, from providing a service for a particular community, then encompassing an entire community and being inclusive and really demonstrating what we are as a society. I think one of the areas that, that really needs to be explored is how we how mainstream media connects with ethnic media, print media, and not just radio. Um, you know, ethnic media has, has sort of often um, been thought of some sort of uh, a quaint service for no, you know nostalgic migrants and and uh, you know uh, encouraging segregation and just reporting on home issues and so forth. That nothing can be you know from the truth in terms of ethnic media connects migrants and. Uh, in a whole range of ways to actually to a sense of participation, community, you know, a sense of belonging and being part of a society by informing them of what is happening in Australia with part of their settlement. So, but also I think one of the other things that we don't realise within ethnic media, it's, it's grown so much, there are just so many voices, there's so much activity within ethnic media uh, and there is so much strength in those stories uh, and so much currency. I mean, just in Victoria alone, uh, there are monthly 1.5 million readers of ethnic media, just in Victoria alone. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, how do you actually capitalise and use that as a source uh, to engage, you know, with those connections with mainstream media in terms of, you know, sharing stories, um, sort of, I, I guess, in a way, ensuring that there is um, there are benefits of both mainstream media and with ethnic media they can expand you know expand their brand in, in demo, new demographics increase uh, access to sourcing better reports about specific communities opening up new markets but also a source for young talented journalists to come from to go into mainstream media so you know developing those really uh, strategic and practical partnerships and not work separately because they are a serious voice Absolutely. Now, Russell, there's, there's been a question in the chat to do with these uh, the mergers of, of big the big media monopolies, if you like, the, the uh, Fairfax and the Nine and, and all of those. How how do you feel? Especially, I mean, it's really interesting that example that you gave about um, working with Channel Ten. What what is this? Um, how do we deal with this relationship between community voices? And we have lots of community voices, as has just said. How do we deal with that going up against these great monoliths of, um, of the, the mainstream media? Oh, look, 
I think I think in the past there hasn't been that connection. There hasn't been much of that at all. Um, and like like Huss said, I think the the commercial media has said, okay, well, there's there's a public broadcaster and there's SBS, and that we don't need to talk to them because they've got their own media. But I think there can be a lot more crossover. It, it's something we're working on. It, we 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 with through Media Diversity Australia, we have networking drinks. Um, where we get together with mainstream media, um, public broadcaster. We're holding in a month's time um, a, a China forum about Chinese diaspora and how the media reports on them. And that's driven by um, um, Media Diversity Australia and us to organise mainstream media people that were reporting on China and community broadcasters coming together in a panel. So I think it, it's a lot of those networking and those connections that need to happen over a period of time before we can have that really strong input so it's, it's into those individual connections, Russell. These bringing individual journalists together Groups, and and, yeah. and and freelance journalists into this into this mix. Yes, I think that relationship building is is part of that thing because a lot of the. A lot of the people that um, in ethnic groups don't want to talk to the media. They don't trust them. Um, they don't trust they'll be able to tell their story. So that relationship is the really important thing. And like I said, we can build that relationship with journalists, but it's the it's the management of these commercial stations that need to start to hear the story as well. And I think I think they will. It's a commercial driven thing that they need to be talking to those audiences because they will switch off and go other places. So I think there's lots of sort of angles coming into how this could speed up. I mean, in the last five years, we've seen some speeding up, like with the reports that Hass has mentioned, and there's pressure in other countries around this as well. So if we can do that networking, build that relationship around those issues, we can eventually have that input and connection around that. Right. And also, Anthea, I mean, there are some great benchmarks there in, in, with, you know, SBS and ABC, the work, the way that they've had to work, work with communities. I mean, 45 years of of experience in terms of building networks, community consultations, speaking with communities, setting up community advisory councils, keeping in touch with the changing environment, you know, diverse workforce, uh, those one-to-one -one connections. You know, a multicultural Australia is an evolving Australia. And, and therefore, everything we do, whether it's in our media or government services, we need to evolve with that. And that's only going to happen with these broader connections and being in touch with your community. And that's one lesson that SBS has learned. Uh, yes, a public broadcaster, but it, it's something that, and, and the same with ABC, it is something that, you know, um, we've had to learn uh, simply through these connections to be relevant. And it's really good journalism. It's, it's about providing a point of view. It's about providing opinions for people to have opinions. So I think it's, it's, it's and, providing and information. And demonstrating there's an audience. Well, there, it's and, not and going there, to be confronting to the audience. They're actually really interested. Absolutely. And 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 I, and again, I re-emphasise. I mean, connections with ethnic media, uh, whether they be uh, radio or or um, print, so vital because they be, have become sophisticated sources of communication where communities go to for reliable yeah. information. Absolutely. Can can I move on now to social media? because we know that this has brought um, the world into everybody's homes. Uh, for many, it's also been the way to stay connected to their home country and to its news services. Um, so I'm, I'm curious as to how perhaps an organisation such as SBS has gone about building trust and a constituency with these small communities, but also from Russell and, and Juan Palo, how, how is the NEMBC um, connected into its audiences and how do you see that evolving in the in the future with this impact or inflow if you like of information coming from social uh, from um, outside Australia um, and and informing people in a somewhat different fashion um, for, to to the way it might have been done had they um, got got it directly from an Australian uh, broadcaster so um, perhaps uh, first, first to Juan Paolo, what, what's your thinking about how this connection to audiences in the world of social media works? Uh, twofold, I guess. Um, so if I took a page out of the Scanlon um, Social Cohesion <laughs> Report, the, the, the trust into social media has deteriorated as a result of the pandemic, I guess. And so it's not only social media usage, it's the trust into what information is being plugged into there. And I think that's where local voices, trained local voices as well, really play a, an impact there. And that's something that's been a focus of the NNBC. 
The second one is the audience who's listening and has expanded, you know, um, from radio, local radio, where you're challenged by your frequency, you have a global impact now. And that's been an interesting journey. Um, Russell knows more of the details, but I was always fascinated by this case study of uh, a Macedonian broadcaster in the Hunter Valley that gets hundreds of thousands of listeners every week uh, globally. And her stories are local, but it's got a global audience. And I find that fascinating. Pe people thought I was a little bit um, original when I thought community media can fit in our Department of Foreign Affairs white paper on soft power. But I, I truly believe that we can really demonstrate the power of multi Australian multiculturalism globally through, through these new platforms. That, that's such an interesting thing. Um, Russell, this sense of um, not only that the information is coming in through social media from outside, but also that we may well be generating information out into the into these other communities outside of Australia's borders. Is, is that something that you're seeing much of? Oh, it's a massive change. So, so the, the Macedonian program that one spoke about was in Wollongong, and they have, I think, 16,000 Macedonians in Wollongong. So previously, it's a local radio station for Wollongong. And so, and so that's her audience. But now she can stream it, put it on demand, put it on Facebook. And so she can capture people in the state, people in the country, people back home and the diaspora. So she, like she gets thousands of people listening to her program now, way beyond the reach of Wollongong. Um, and a lot of programs are doing that now. So, so they're, getting, they're getting feedback, they're chatting with people in other countries and connecting to them. So what was a local radio program just in one little area is now global and connecting globally like that. And so it opens up a lot more um, information, possibilities, business connections, a whole range of things could be happening around that. It, all, it also helps to make this feeling that, that in actual fact you're not so distant from your home country, that, that in actual fact you can be a part of a global society by even uh, just by living in Australia. You're not that distant. Mm, yeah, and we, we have That's a right. multilingual news service that we, we started doing for when COVID hit. We started producing a daily multilingual news service and our, our Maltese um, presenter is not such a good translator, but he's got a friend in Malta in a community radio station. So our script that we write in the morning goes to Malta to be translated and back again for him to produce to do the news in Victoria. So, yeah, that's the reach that we have. Like it's it can reach particularly the because of that, that, that um, diaspora home, there's a lot more networking and connection that can go on. Isn't that terrific? Because, you know, in some people's minds, there's this sense that that, that is a threat, if you like, but in actual fact, it's not. It's another value add that comes it, 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 to us through the media. So it's yeah, really absolutely. Terrific. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. A, a positive value add. And, and I think we've seen the similar thing with um, the uh, in-language services through SBS, uh, not only within Australia, but how that, that has also reached globally as well and those mm -hmm. connections. But also I think what um, it's also created an opportunity for broadcasters like SBS and others to work with their communities to build their social media skills and sets as well because they've developed their own sets of platforms which they communicate amongst each other and internationally as well. And it's been just a fascinating, um, you know, a mosaic of diaspora, mm -hmm. diaspora communication, which is absolutely <laughs> terrific because it gives us an opportunity to talk about um, us as a society and the issues that we're dealing with and challenges with other societies and, and some of the similarities and commonalities around some of these things around values and, and issues. And, and I think it's been um, a learning lesson uh, for everyone, but also a great opportunity to really talk about um, the, the, the strength of diversity and the strength of those voices and the power of diverse voices. And I think that's been a plus. I, that's one of the things that we can really say about this pandemic, the way communities have come together to help each other. Absolutely, but also to potentially inform other countries about exactly. advice and recommendations yep. about what needs to be done. So finally, before I go to the questions that are coming in through the chat, um, I just would like to hear from each one of you your final words of advice for the audience when it comes to engaging with communities. How, how can they be ethical in their activities and and what do you see as the possible pitfalls that they need to avoid and how, how will they know when they're on the right track? So um, <laughs> perhaps um, I might start with one, Paolo. What, what do you think? What are your final words of advice? 
Well, it starts with that first principle of empathy, I guess. Empathy and trust. Um, and when engaging with different communities, it's just going in there with, with an open perspective um, and, and don't go in with a purely transactional perspective either. The, the results and the benefits will flow on as a result. But um, I guess start off with that. Um, and, and that challenge of increasing diversity, I think whilst it is a challenge, it, it is an inevitability. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of SBS Pop Asia, for example, which I highly credit to the popularity of BTS. Um, can you imagine a world without Squid Game? I think we've seen cha- changes in, in film in Hollywood. Uh, for some reason, news is one of the last pieces of the puzzle. It will happen, I think, yeah. uh, but it needs to come from that place of trust, not transactional arrangement. Thank you very much, Juan Pablo. Uh, Russell, what do you think? What are some final words of advice you have to our journalistic audience? Look, there are lots of really good um, codes and ethics to, to work by that each of the different sectors will have. And um, um, and, and w- the community broadcasting sector has a code as well. Um, it's always good to refer to that code, but I think it really comes down to communicating in the newsroom, talking to your colleagues around what it is, because it can vary. It's very nuanced covering a particular story, covering a particular issue. So it's really good to have that um, discussion and I think a lot of the codes of ethics um, don't have this a principle of do no harm as a concept. Now, ultimately, I'm not talking about investigative journalism where you do want to do harm to somebody because they're corrupt, but just general general reporting, I think, as a concept is do no harm in the back of your mind, then I think that's a that's a good general concept to go in with. Right. And Hast, what about you? Uh, agree with all of that, all of that. But look, if I can just say that... Um, uh, Diversity is a really com- a complex concept and, and to maximise its benefits, we must sort of make a conscious effort to understand what that really entails. And whilst many uh, of us will agree that diversity enriches our lives and broadens our attitude, it also pushes each and every one of us to accept a different reality from our own. And in fact, uh, diversity is just that, that difference, that variation, that variedness and and. And the nature of that variedness and and how it can be changeful and and it's really important that we understand um, that difference and that's the challenge and how we actually portray that that difference and that variedness in in and portray in, in you know how media portrays that and capitalizes on that diversity and the way you really need to understand that as well as well as to be really be build varied networks and, and, and make sure you include diverse voices and, and participate in discussion with, on social media and on Facebooks with communities. Be part of it. Be part of the conversation with them to build that trust and to really get those nuances. That's how you will learn. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Cass. So now we might just punch through these questions that have come in. The first one is... Um, do you think, what do you think about having an audience relations team? So, uh, Russell, does that resonate with you? Do you know what that might be? I don't know what that exactly means, but I know, I know that within community broadcasting, you get, um, you do get audience connection because you're, uh, and I, I go to radio and broadcasting a lot, um, and, but it probably happens within print media as well. The people that broadcast on a community radio station are known in their community. There are many celebrities that have been doing it for tens of years and they, they go out into their community, they connect with their community and their community give them feedback on their programs. They're responsible to their community. So they, they feel that responsibility. So that's a really audience feedback loop that happens within community. Um, and, and I think that's happening in a much more adversarial sort of way within commercial and mainstream media because you've got now got people that can respond to, to mainstream media through social media by responding to them aggressively if they don't like something. That's another way of an audience feedback loop to mainstream media. Um, and that's a good thing in a way. It's holding them more accountable. But certainly if it was done in a more community-minded way where that could be more less aggressive and less connected and changes from mainstream media to be more responsible to those communities would be better and finding ways that the audience could feed that information back in is really good. We have ACMA, um, Australian Communications Media Association, the Press Council, that receive complaints and they respond to to media, but that's a slow process. The quicker process is if it was audience-based and responding much more quicker like is happening. Yeah. Um, Um, Yes, Hans. 
Can I yeah. just add to that? I, I think that's a great suggestion and that's something that when I was with SBS and still am with SBS now, that is practice where we um, have um, what we call have audience uh, engagement uh, and consultation uh, several times of the year right throughout the state where we call in the audience to sit down with board management and producers and directors to to talk about the issues and and the challenges and and feedback and I think it it, it plays very well I think it's a, it's a great suggestion it really connects you with the community and you hear those real voices oh great thank you Juan Paolo, I think the next one might be for you, uh, which is really that that um, uh, ma mainstream media gets support from from government, from corporates, from businesses, but um, but ethnic media has somewhat more difficulty actually finding those resources and being able to uh, to channel them. How how has your radio station managed to find the funding to keep going? And uh, and do you have any advice for other smaller uh, ethnic media about how they might be able to get resources going in their direction. That is that is, that is quite literally the million dollar question, isn't it? You hang <laughs> on for dear life. That's my advice. <laughs> I guess with the changing nature of, uh, of of the business, we've noticed that there's been international interest in supporting our station, for example. Now that comes with the risks as well, but I guess that's the advantage of of having a global audience. Um, one case example was a Filipino freight forwarding company wanted to have a conversation with us about doing a, a, a campaign, risks and benefits. So I guess it's that with the new model, there's new opportunities, but just be careful as well. Um, but the future really, uh, federal and state government funding is always welcome, but that should always just be seen as like a foundational piece. It shouldn't be seen as the only work method I know that's easy to say for some stations like mine, but it's always the aspiration because without that sense of self-sustainability, um, it's not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think this, this might be a question for everybody because um, it's really asking what do the panelists think of the top-down structure uh, of many public and private broadcasters, whereas um, the community radios operate in a probably more lateral fashion, more like a cooperative coming together. Uh, and yet you've got these mainstream um, broadcasters which are very top-down, very hierarchical. Um, is, there, is it possible to come up with some sort of a national scheme to encourage firm diversity through democratic or more lateralised structures? Um, what, what's your thinking there? Has you've probably got more no. of that um, perspective from a mainstream media. Um, yeah, and I'll leave it to uh, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I suppose, I mean, that's a sort of long-term structural change that you'd know, yeah. be looking at, but I mean, that that's, you know, that's out of our hands, really, in a way, yeah. what, what those mainstream sort of stations do, uh, you know, what the mainstream media does with that. I mean, they're commercially driven, they've set these structures up, they're, they're much more uh, to deal with the commercial environment. Um, but as they, like, if, if more people start to go into that into media, mainstream media, and start to work with those people, then that discussion, that narrative might start to change that management programming system of how things are decided. I, I, don't, I think it'll always be hierarchical, um, but at least flatten the curve a bit or something. But, you know, I mean, certainly community radio is very grassroots. You know, the people that Absolutely. sit on the boards are from our broadcasters themselves. Even our organisation, everyone is on our board as a broadcaster. So that's very, um, very flat. Group decision-making and group mm. contribution. But, but, yeah, but you yeah. don't want to lose that grassroots um, no. impetus. And, and I think the, the challenge is how do you get that grassroots uh, model funded and supported and how and how, how is it sustained? Because it brings a, a, a great sense of, um, there's a sense of purity and, and reality to it because it is so class, it's so close to the grassroots. And I think it's a win-win for either, you know, uh, those funded broadcasters, commercial broadcasters, as well as the grassroots broadcasters. I think we just need to bridge that gap. There's got to be a real genuine effort to understand that and not look at um, public, broad, um, public broadcasting or community broadcasting as sort of second-rate tier news. It's not the case at all. And I think it has changed. It's become much more complex and sophisticated in lots of ways. Um, just because people volunteer their times, it doesn't mean they're not professional. Yes, I, I, there is some, one other question, which is how, how can we join the community to mainstream media? And I think we've actually touched on it yeah. in a number of different answers. 
but it does it does highlight this um, what you were just saying has this opportunity that Australia has to actually have a very um, multiplicitous uh, media landscape, if you like, that it doesn't have to be that everything that, that mainstream media has to solve every problem or community media has to move in a particular direction. It's actually that we 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 can create an environment for Australia that actually responds to a lot of diverse needs that come mm. from different communities and different people. What you don't want to do is to alienate anybody away from any of them. Um, so these perceptions are important. That's right. And if there's an economic argument to that, as I said earlier, I mean, if you look at just the stats in Victoria, 1.5 million people reading ethnic media. And for a long time, we've had to work with commercial media and and broadcasters about trying to tap into these markets because of advertising. So it's just purely from an economic perspective for advertising to sell their products and brands to communities because they, you know, it, it, it is a good market. It's now suddenly they've realised, oh, my God, there's such a huge audience out there. And now we're starting to see so many shifts and changes in terms of the way brands are being produced on, or marketed on particular um, mainstream, you know, commercial television and, and broadcasters. Um, but there's still a lot more out there. And if you work with ethnic media, uh, whether it be print or broadcasting, you know, there are some great economic values which will lead to other social values. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, now, just before I ask whether any of you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share, I, I just might mention that there's a comment from Jelena in there, which is really a, a statement more than a question, uh, but it's really saying shared engagement, in, and she's referring to Indigenous people, but yeah. it needs to be embedded with respect, trust, reciprocity and mutual relationship. And I think that probably applies to all the groups that we're talking about this evening. So thank you, Jelena, for that. Um, yeah. If, has anybody got any final thoughts that they would like to share? Because we've got to the end of the questions. So any comments before we finish up? Well, if I could just add, um, it's, it's, uh, thank, you, thank you for this opportunity, first of all. But uh, I guess in terms of connecting uh, community media with mainstream media mm -hmm. um, on that particular topic, I guess when we talk about diversity, we're not seeking a complete reshaping of the dynamics. Um, I was just speaking with Russell the other day. Uh, I still think about the connections between community media and commercial media in the lens of some of my favorites, um, Sean McAuliffe, for example, um, how he came from community media all the way up. Um, and that, that pathway still exists. It just needs to be expanded on and nudged in the right direction a little bit, but then the results will happen. I think that you'll see an explosion of diverse um, um, diverse actors in all forms of news information, whether it's the reporting or the production side of things. So, so Juan Paulo, just while um, just one final thought coming in uh, as I'm rounding, I'm um, finishing up. Um, but it's really suggesting that if a young person from uh, from a, a different cultural background is really passionate about media and storytelling, and they happen to be in community media, how do they bridge the gap? and move into more mainstream media? Are there channels today or is it networking? Is it just who you know that enables you to get that next opportunity into something bigger and better than, than, than what you might be seeking for your career? Your first option is always to become undeniable, become so popular that no one can ever refuse you. The second <laughs> step is, I guess, yeah, the networking. There are programs such as our work with MDA and the public broadcasters have really stepped into the fore um, with this regard too. Mm. Um, so it's changing, yes, but I think for the here and now, you need a blend, undeniable with that emerging trend. And hopefully the system becomes a little bit more accommodating and understanding, but those are your two options at the moment, I think. And yeah. I, I also just to add to that, I mean, there is some um, some excellent programs now being produced through the uh, Jan Nielsen, I think, Institute, uh, where they're out there looking at um, the, running a whole range of training and seminars uh, for uh, people from diverse communities to come into work in terms of understanding how to get into mainstream media, uh, working with journalists and working with, with um, uh, you know, television and, and uh, ma uh, mainstream broadcasting institutions as well. And I think there's more and more of these sorts of activities happening. There's, a, um, I think, um, uh, there's a lot more engagement and I think a lot of uh, media and broadcasting, broadcasting agencies are starting to realise that there is an untapped source of wealth and talent out there, young talent from diverse communities, uh, and there's 
you know, what they're wanting to reach out and, and train these people. Uh, and I think the school journalism schools are getting better at that. And, um, and I think there's, a, a, you know, I think some really positive things happening out there. And I think it's worth mentioning that Media Diversity Australia just announced a fellowship for an eight-week scholarship program to actually participate in the lead-up to the election, um, yeah. which uh, would be really exciting. So I'd encourage people to have a look at that. Um, so, Russell, any last thoughts? Oh, just the last thoughts. I think it's really a challenging time for media because of the challenge of the digital disruption, particularly with TV and, and, and newspaper sales and how that's changing. But I think it's a really exciting time because of digital, because of social media, and journalists can have lots of opportunities to be involved and that changing, that changing sort of tide that's happening around questioning media and what we're doing with media. So hopefully a lot of the things we've spoken about today around the ethics and how that can become better and change and how we can get better media representation and change those structures of mainstream media so that they're more community connected. Um, I, think, I think there's a really exciting future in the next 10 years. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. And, yes, and just one, one final thing, I, I think it's really important for um, to provide sort of media training for CAL, you know, cultural and linguistic diverse journalists so that, you know, the storytellers and communities are, enable them to sort of have greater ownership and, and agency to tell their stories and greater employment opportunities um, in the industry and, and make sure that um, I think to hold more events to bring uh, diverse or cultural diverse linguistic diverse students together with media industry practitioners uh, to recruit more of them into the profession and provide those pathways into employment. And I think, you know, and we're seeing some of that, but I think we need to do more yeah. of that. And, and I think we should recognise the work of the Australian Multicultural Foundation in holding a, a quite a, a series of those uh, training programs for individuals that are interested in um, being more involved in the media and creating more voices uh, to actually be able to be spokespeople for their communities uh, or to get into uh, that particular career of media and journalism. Yeah, and, and but also just commu uh, establishing community spokespeople too. I mean, recently we ran a program with, um, we, uh, you know, contracted several mainstream journalists, uh, well-known journalists to come and train a group of imams on how to work within the media and with journalists. So, you know, people are open to all of this and there's just so many opportunities for connections and what that does for the journalists is also gets a real insight into that community and understands those nuances that we were talking about before. You just can't read it in a book. You've got to experience it. You've got to feel it. You've got to understand it because it's ever-changing. Absolutely. Well, thank, thank you very much to all our wonderful guests for their time and for sharing their extraordinary expertise with us. Recordings of all these sessions will be made available shortly through the Walkley Foundation website so you can catch up on any that you've missed. Um, I would like to thank the Walkley Foundation in particular, uh, Marcus Rao, for all their assistance in bringing these webinars to life. And finally, thank you to everyone in the audience for your time and interest in appreciating that there is still more progress to be made in reporting on our diverse Australia. Good evening, everybody, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs>